0: 18, um, but you can't do verse 18 without looking again at verse 17. Verse 17 uh, is this amazing statement that kind of wraps up this, this kind of transitional section of uh, the beginning of chapter 3. Paul began chapter 3 saying, uh, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Uh, at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, and sort of to live this new life in Christ, this life in the Spirit. Those who are Christians are, are made new and got to, to live like it, a life defined by heavenly realities, not earthly things. And then he, he draws that section to an end in verse 17, saying, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's this wonderful, inspiring, all-encompassing statement. Everything you do, in word or in deed, big or small, every part of life, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not about you, but that just gets me pumped up. That gets me excited. That's it. That's what we're after. That's what I want my life to be. That's what I want um, everything to be about Sold out, all in, I want to be 110% for Jesus, let's go. And, and in my earlier Christian days, that actually produced a lot of anxiety in me and confusion in my life. Because I'd get all excited and, and, and thinking about living fully for the Lord and, and how do I do that and, and where do I need to go and what does that look like? And gee whiz, I need to, I need to move to the jungles of South America right? Like that's what it means to to live for Jesus. That's what it means to be all in. The people that are really sold out for Jesus, they're they're the missionaries, right? And we're looking for these kind of big, flashy, notable ways to to live for Jesus. Give my life for him. I'm ready to die for Jesus. And then we kind of yo-yo a bit because it's hard to get to the jungles of South America. And, and, and so we set our sights on the moon, and then that doesn't happen, and, and we come back home and feel like a failure. I guess maybe I'm like 37% sold out for Jesus, maybe 42 on a good day. But that's it. I'm no missionary. I'm not a pastor. Uh, what am I even doing? Like I, I want to be able to, to die for Jesus, and right now I'm having a hard time just reading a book for Jesus, having a hard time just Introducing my neighbor to Jesus. How do I get from here to there? What does that look like? What does it mean to give my life 110% for Jesus in Olds, Alberta, on a Tuesday night? Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, Paul makes this grandiose statement, do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then he helps us with that. He gives us some some traction on that. What does that look like in this new life? And and he doesn't start with the horizon. He doesn't start looking way out there. You've got to go and do this notable, extraordinary, extravagant thing. No, he looks right down at the ground under our feet. And he says it starts right here. This new life in Christ, this new spiritual life, the transformation we have in Jesus starts here. Sometimes. Absolutely calls people to extraordinary things for Jesus to, to make unparalleled sacrifices, even literally give their lives for him. but it always starts in the most simple, normal, average, mundane ways. It may or may not end in the extraordinary, but it always begins in the ordinary. And you know what? It often ends in the ordinary as well. An ordinary life with an extraordinary obedience, right? It calls for for radical obedience in regular life. Paul's next section is so ordinary so mundane. Some scholars just suggest he, he just kind of lifted this right out of um, his culture. Right out of just the normal things of the day. What we see ahead of us in these next verses, 18 down to 25, uh, is, is called a household code. It, it's just this structure of, of life and family and, and how that's to look. And it, it was normal. Um, Aristotle had written this household code similar to this. Plato had one. These were floating around in Paul's day. It wasn't a new thing. And yet Paul takes this very familiar, very normal, very ordinary, everyday life, and he says the new life in Christ is a call to radical obedience that starts right here, that starts in the home. He breaks it down three categories that we'll look at over the next uh, few weeks The new life in marriage, the new life in family, and the new life in our work. So that's where we're headed. Um, But this week, the new life in marriage. Would you look with me? um, Just two verses, Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it calls us to full obedience, to radical obedience. God, you have stirred our hearts. We want to live for Christ. Help us to see what that looks like in our lives. Lord, help us to be faithful in the ordinary things that you have called us to. Lord, that we might be able to say, um, that we uh, do everything in word and in deed in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. God, would you work that in us this morning? God, I pray as I speak that, that my words would be true to your word. God, that, that you would take anything that I've prepared that is, that is not of you, that is not true to your word, that that would just fall to the ground. God, that you would speak that you would build up your church, God, that you would strengthen and fortify our marriages this morning, that they might be um, glorious symbols of Christ and the church and the wonder uh, of, uh, of the cross, Lord, that we might live faithful to you in this. So God, be at work in us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a passage. That if we were picking and choosing in our day and age, might not have got picked and chosen. Um, this throws us right into the deep end of cultural conflict, does it not? Verse 18, let's just get it out there. Point one, in the name of the Lord, submit. Wives, submit to your husbands. This is not a secret. That is not culturally acceptable. Not Okay. Uh, we're not even cutting edge. Like we're not talking about you know whether or not gender exists. We're just talking about the patriarchy, sexism. Like this is long settled, out of place, not okay, doesn't belong. And if Christianity is going to move into the next generation, we've got to get rid of some of these archaic, problematic baggage that we've been carrying with us. This passage of Scripture and others like it, is not only unpopular in the world's eyes, frankly, it's unpopular in a lot of churches. So it's likely there's even some here this morning who are made uncomfortable even just by the reading of these verses, and, and, and some for good reason, for good reason. No doubt these verses have been abused. They have been used by wicked men to do wicked things justified by Scripture. But let's attempt this morning, as best as we are able, to set aside cultural biases and past experience and, and worldly pressure and personal preference. And, and let's just try to let Scripture speak for itself as best as we're able. Paul lays this out um, clearly. And this is not a restrictive law. This doesn't come as a, a curse. But it's something beautiful. Something wonderful. That wives can give their lives for the Lord Jesus, for the glory of God in marriage, through humble submission. You can see it, um, the the, the beautiful part, that this is is fitting in the Lord. This is becoming, this is a a beautiful thing, Paul is saying. The language is is pretty clear and straightforward. Um, Wives, submit to your husbands. The, The word submit there is just... Everything you'd expect it to be. Um, the word is Tasso." Um, it's used in military context. It's used in um, angels submitting to Christ, young men submitting to older men. Um, the start of the word hupo means under, and, and tasso means to order or to arrange or structure. And so Paul is saying that, that wives are to willingly, joyfully arrange themselves, establish themselves under their husbands. Now, again, this is not all women under all men. This is wives submitting to their husbands. But the command here is to this this voluntary submission and that command and that word submit need to be able to stand, have their full meaning. Now, we'll talk in a minute a little more what that looks like, but first we have to answer the question, why? Why is Paul commanding this? Where does this Come from, because once we get the the why figured out, everything else is a little more, uh, comes a little more into focus. Getting the why right is also significant, partly because there are just a lot of false whys that circle around um, these types of passages. Why does Paul say this? Why does Paul have this whole thing about submission and headship between men and women, husbands and wives? And one explanation is simply. Paul was a misogynist. There it is. Look, he said it. Um, And and clearly, um, Paul is, like all of us, um, a product of his culture. He can't help it. His worldview is inescapably shaped by the world around him. And so, yes, Paul wrote some great things and laid some good theology foundations for the church. But on this, to put it bluntly, he's wrong. This is Paul's sin coming out onto the page. Well, I hope you see my problem with that option right off the bat. Um, It's not really a problem with the details of men and women or even this passage in particular, but how we understand God's word, uh, how we treat and deal with the Bible. Proverbs 30 verse 5, every word of God proves true. Scripture is reliable. It is trustworthy and true. It is breathed out by God. And so... I hope this is a settled issue. I don't want to spend too much time here. But but we believe that God's word is trustworthy. That the apostle Peter um, would explain it this way. 2 Peter 1, uh, 20-21. Knowing first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy is ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So... This is not just Paul's words, this is God's words. As he's being carried along by the Holy Spirit, this written word for us is God's word. And so this isn't what Paul thinks about men and women, this is what God thinks about men and women. So why then is this command here? Another answer is not necessarily that it was Paul's sin, um, because this is God's word, um, but, but that there's something with the context here. This command was relevant to them. This was for that church in, in that time in a way that, that doesn't apply to us today. Kind of a, a sister to that way of thinking would be that there's a trajectory to Scripture, right? It's, it's moving in the direction away from that so that we can kind of leave those behind as we grow in understanding and, and knowledge. And this is just not for us. This was... For the Roman culture, this was because the the church in Colossae was particularly sensitive to this. Uh, is this just Paul being culturally relevant in a way that we can leave behind? Well, there's a few ways to answer that, and I think the easiest way, however, uh, is just to look again at this passage. I think Paul answers that right here in verse 18: Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. It's fitting. In the Lord, the context leading up to this is that as those who've been raised with Christ, three verse one, verse seventeen, then we are told to do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, how does a how does a wife do that? What does it mean for a wife to to be a wife in the name of the Lord Jesus? And he says it it means submitting to her husband. It, it's seamless flow through here. Wifely submission is a good and right way to live out obedience to Christ in your marriage. It's, it is fitting in the Lord. Again, Paul is putting this forward as a, as a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing. It's not commanded because it's fitting to his personal worldview and his personal bent. It's not commanded because it's fitting to the ancient culture. It's, it's commanded because it's fitting in the Lord. And the Lord doesn't change. We never outgrow the Lord. It's fitting in the Lord. And it's fitting in a couple of ways. We stop and ask, what does he he mean by that? Well, first, I think it's fitting in the Lord because it just coheres with all of Scripture. This is not new in Colossians. This is weaved through the entire Bible from start to finish. And it begins very clearly in the Garden of Eden. It was baked in at creation. Genesis 2 zooms in on the the creation of Adam and Eve. I'll give you a second. Why don't you turn over there? Genesis 2 is not hard to find. Just go right to the start of your Bible. Um, And uh, in in Genesis 2, we see how this story unfolds of God creating man and woman. I still hear flipping, so I'll give you a second to get there. Genesis 2, starting in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And verse 18, then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. Found in verse 21, then it tells of how the Lord took the rib from the man. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed the place up with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Do you catch the order of events there? That's significant. Notice Adam was created. Adam was entrusted with the care of the garden. Adam was given the the rules of the garden. And after that, Eve was created. Specially created, specifically as a helper for him. Taken out of his side. It's all through here. And all of that is is said and done. And then Eve is created. God could have created them at the same time. He could have created them in the same way way, but he doesn't. He does something very odd and unusual. Every other pair of animals, as far as we can see, are created the same time, the same way. This is unique. He's telling us something here. He's telling us very evidently that that he's created man to be the the head, the, the leader, and he's created his wife to be a helper. Now, that's a beautiful thing. That's a good thing. Let's be clear, let's be careful not to make inferences that aren't there. Um, Genesis 1.27, this is the the shorter account, the simple account of the creation of men and women. God said, uh, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, uh, created him. Male and female, he created them. So male and female, both created equally in the image of God. Adam and Eve Together created in the image of God. We're not talking about a difference in dignity and honor. We're not talking about a a difference in the essence of of being, of of the value or personhood. What we're talking about is roles and relationships, not value and honor. Our our culture and and to a large degree just human pride, um, we see the word submission as a derogatory term. right? That is a put down person in submission must be of lower value lower worth but 1st Corinthians 11:3 as one example Paul's talking about these roles of men and women and he says this I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God and so there are these layers of submission that work their way through the wife submits to her husband, the husband submits to Christ, and Christ submits to the Father. Let me ask you a question. Is Christ equal to or inferior to God the Father? Be Careful how you answer that. This is core Christian doctrine. It is essential that we affirm that Christ is co-equal to the Father, very God of very God. That's not negotiable. And so Christ is equal to the father and yet he is submitting himself to the father. And in submission in the same way as the wife is to submit to her husband. Submission can and absolutely does um, exist without any hint of there being a lesser being or lesser value. This is a, a distinction in roles not a distinction in honor and value. And so all of that Notice again happening before the fall. This is before sin has entered. What we've read so far is Genesis 1 and 2. Sin doesn't come in the picture until Genesis 3. But even then, we see this same dynamic continuing to play out. Satan enters the garden. Where does he go? What does he do? He approaches not Adam, not the recipient of the rules of the garden, not the one who is entrusted as the keeper of the garden. Genesis 3.1, he approaches the woman, says the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He goes to Eve. He deceives and, and tempts Eve. Why? Because Satan's best shot at destroying that perfect garden. At destroying their their peace with God and their peace and joy with one another. Is to upend that relationship. Is to destroy those God-given rules. And by the way, his strategy is much the same today. And it's working quite well, I dare say. Satan upended those rules. And yet... Once the dust had settled, the Lord returns to the garden. And does he call out, Eve, where are you? No. No, verse 9 says, but the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Why? It was Eve that was deceived. It's Eve that, that began this. The Lord calls to Adam because he's given Adam the responsibility in the garden. It was Adam's failure that he, notice, stood by while Satan did deceived Eve. He was being lazy, not taking his role. This is the way the first marriage was meant to operate, with the husband as the protector, the caretaker, the the initiator, and the wife as a, a faithful helper, supporter, responder. That's the way God created it to be. That's the way it was when God looked at all that he had made and said, it is very good. Sin didn't bring those roles into existence, um, but it absolutely corrupted them. It absolutely made a mess of what God had made as beautiful. So uh, Genesis three sixteen, as as God is laying out the curse of sin, this is the havoc that, that this is going to wreak in our world. This is the, the chaos that is going to ensue. And he says to the woman, your desire will be contrary to your husband and he will rule over you. That's the, the fallout of sin and the relationship between man and woman. Now, there's a lot of talk over what does that phrase mean? What does it mean that his desire will be for you, or your desire will be for him and he will rule over you? Well, the, the interpretive key is down in, in Genesis 4-7. It's the exact same Hebrew phrase used right in the same context, right nearby. Um, this helps us understand what he means. Genesis 4-7, the Lord is speaking to Cain. And he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Same phrase, same context. And so as we kind of overlay these two and use them to understand one another, because of sin, the wife's desire would be contrary to her husband in the same way that the desire of sin was contrary to Cain, a desire to control, a desire to manipulate, a desire to to handle and subjugate and dominate. And because of the fall, in return, the sinful response of man would be to, to rule over her, not in a healthy way, not in a good way, not in the way that God had ordained, but in the same way that Cain was to rule over his sin, to put it down, to subdue it. To crush it. The fall shows us this sinful response. The corrupting of what God had made as beautiful. He would no longer lovingly lead her and provide for her and protect her. But use his strength to knock her down. To force his authority to overpower her, subdue her. And sometimes that strength plays its way out in, in that obvious aggressive um, abusive way. Sometimes he uses his strength in kind of a backwards way to go sit on the couch, lazy and indifferent, waiting for all the benefits of the helper without taking on any of the responsibilities to, to lead and protect and care for, just demanding to be served. So, so that's the world that we've inherited. That's the world that we find ourselves in today. This, these corrupted roles, this battle of the sexes, that's where it started. And the answer to that, the cure for that, the fix for that, uh, is not to undo and throw away what God created as good, but rather to restore it to its original state, to embrace what God did create. So it's fitting in the Lord that wives submit to their husbands because it, it aligns with how God created and how God has worked all throughout Scripture. Scripture. It's what God called very good at the very beginning. But, but secondly, it's fitting in the Lord in, in another specific way because of the mystery of marriage. And how it points ultimately to the, to the beautiful relationship, the, the union between Christ and his church. The best commentary on Colossians 3.18 uh, is Ephesians 5. Uh, Ephesians 5 is, uh, the whole the, the the book of Ephesians uh, in many ways parallels the book of Colossians. They're, they're back and forth. There's tons of overlap. Um, Ephesians 5, Paul unpacks this much more fully. And he reveals that, that marriage is, is more than just a human institution. It, it was a sacred covenant from the beginning um, and, 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 and meant to be this living picture of Christ and the church. And so marriage, even through the Old Testament time before Christ had come, was kind of priming the pump and setting this example and saying, this is what it will be like between Christ and the church. Your marriage is not about you. You don't get to simply do what makes sense to you or what feels right to you. You can't change it or adapt it based on your personality or based on your preferences. We don't get to define our marriage because marriage has a, a higher purpose, a sacred purpose. It's not about us. It's a living metaphor, this, this visible dramatization um, of the reality of Christ in the church. So Ephesians 5, 22 to 24, Paul writes this to the wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now the church, sorry, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So why should wives submit to their husbands? For because the husband is the head of the wife, even as or in the same way as... uh, Christ is the head of the church. Because it's this living metaphor that points to a reality that is that is outside of an over and above marriage. What an honor. What a beautiful spiritual eternal purpose that is given to marriage. This this ordinary thing that we call marriage is so much bigger, so much more. And yet I get it. That's a hard command. That is a difficult, difficult command. Because, husbands, though we are to play the role of Christ, we are not Christ. We fall far, far short. And so, you're right, ladies, to to tremble at this a little bit. You have been asked to humbly submit to weak, imperfect, even sinful husbands. That's terrifying. Not because we deserve it, not because of, of our honor, because we don't deserve it, but because Christ does. Because as Christians, we're called to do all things in word and in deed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it may not be as glamorous as moving to the jungles of South America, but this is radical sacrifice. This is radical obedience called for in in regular life. This is what it means to live for Jesus. It is hard. It is a sacrifice. But this is is living every day for the glory of Christ. And the bonus is that the Lord who, who, who designed this and the Lord who commands this is wise, is loving, is kind. And and this is not just the path toward his greatest glory. This is also the path toward our greatest joy in marriage. This is what we as men and women were designed for. Wives, you will find your greatest joy in willingly, humbly, graciously submitting to your husband. That's what makes a marriage work. Not not as doormats. not Not as weak and frail wallflowers. That's not what we're talking about but is a much-needed, God-ordained, highly-honored, willingly-submissive helper that is, that is desperately needed because it's fitting in the Lord. And this is the, this is the key to our greatest joy in marriage. Now, hard as that command is, let's try to make it much, much easier, shall we? Husbands, in the name of the Lord, Love your wives. Love your wives. Look at verse 19. Let's start at the beginning. Let's start at 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, as much as Paul is stealing this from the culture around him, this idea of the household code was kind of a known commodity and he's, he's using that. They're familiar with it. This is a radical departure. The typical ancient household code says, wives submit, children obey, move on. Husband? No. What what command would you give to the husband? You can't tell a husband what to do. He's the man. He rules. He, He is the king of the castle. It's a great example of Genesis three sixteen run rampant. The man was the, the top of the hierarchical structure and by his strength, he did what he pleased. Wives, submit. Husbands, rule on. You're doing great. Sounds like something probably written by men. In Christ, we have a new creation. It changes everything. It changes everything. Notice, husbands, you are not the top of the food chain here. Sit down. You are not the ultimate authority. You aren't on the throne. Your wife does not submit to you because you are worthy of submission or, because you, or so that you can build your own kingdom and serve yourself. Listen, if your idea of a a healthy marriage is that your wife makes you meals and cleans your house and cares for the kids and and, and you get to tell her what to do and and, and you get to come home and and sit on the couch and drink your beer and watch your football and, and, and be served and doted on and demand sex whenever it suits you and it's all about you, man, I dare say that is a far more abhorrent and detestable twisting of God's design than than the most radical of feminism the most overbearing controlling wife could never reach the level of offense that you have just committed sadly that model is often more at home and more tolerated in the church how dare we you are not the king the household code is not about serving you Yes, she is to submit to you, not because you deserve it, but out of reverence for Christ. Not in order to build your seditious, treasonous kingdom, but to build the kingdom of Christ. She is to submit to you in this cosmic drama, playing the role of the church. And that's precisely why the man's sin is so much worse, because you're supposed to be playing the role of Christ. And we've dragged it through the mud. Yes, Christ has authority over his church. Yes, Christ leads, even rules his church. But how does he do it? In what manner does he lead? He did not come to take from his church. He did not come to be served by his church. Mark ten forty five. the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. He does it in selfless, humble, sacrificial love. Looking back at Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24, call the wives to submit to their husbands even as the church submits to Christ. And then verse 25 drops this atomic bomb on the pompous, selfish husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? And gave himself up for her. He died, gave his life for our good. Your wife is to submit to you, and you are to die for her. That's what it means to lead. That's what it means to be the head, the way Christ commands. It means loving, self-sacrificing leader. Now, people want to take that concept and run wild with it. If the wife is to submit to the husband, but the husband is to be self-sacrificially loving, well, then she's submitting to him, and he's submitting to her, and there really is no headship, there really is no submission, just throw the whole thing out. Husbands, you're off the hook. Well, no, that's, that's nonsense. It's ridiculous. The relationship between Christ and the church is clear. Do you ever wonder between Christ and the church who is taking the lead, who is the head? No. Not for a moment. The roles of husband and wife are no more reversible than the roles of Christ in the church. It doesn't work. It's not the way it's designed to be. Again, this is not our game. We don't write the rules. Husbands, you are to lead. You are to protect and provide for your wife. You you are to be the head in the relationship. The buck does stop at you. You're to engage that, embrace that role. Husbands, are you you leading your wives well? Are you leading your families well? Now that might be hard for you. That might not be natural to your personality. But that is the role that God has called you to fulfill. We're going to step up into that. Are you taking that responsibility seriously? Simple diagnostic question. How did you end up here this morning? Did you lead the way in that? Did you set that expectation, the direction in the home, or, or did you leave that to your wife to push and pull and drag you here? Be a man. Take the, the loving leadership in the home. Think about what does it mean for our household, for our marriage to, to honor Christ and, and, and to be about building his kingdom and, and set that direction. Now, she's your helper. You need her. right? It is not good for man to be alone. And that's okay. You're going to want to get her input a lot. You would be a fool not to. You're going to want to, to lean into her wisdom and her insight. You're going to want her set of eyes to see things that you don't see. You're going to make decisions together. And you're going to accomplish it Together. You're a team, but every team needs a captain. Somebody has to be the one to initiate, to set the direction. Now, husbands, in that, your role is loving, self-sacrificing leadership. Your heart has to be for the the good of your wife, the good of your family. I, I think you're on safe ground when you say, honey, I'm putting my foot down. I'm taking my role as the leader, and we're going to do it the way that is best for you and sacrifices me. That's godly leadership. That's Christ-like leadership. Now a short aside here to the young ladies this morning. Those who hope one day to be married, this is what you're looking for. This is it. Do not, do not, do not settle for anything less. We talk about how a Christian should not marry a non-Christian, right? Don't be unequally yoked. And that's true, but that is the bottom level basement requirement, right? Like you don't want someone who, I'm pretty sure he's crossed the starting line. I think he's, on most days, I think he's a Christian. No, that's not what you're after. You're looking for the man who is running out ahead of you, who is seeking after Christ, who will lead you in in godliness and Christlikeness. Who will be a positive pull in your life toward holiness. Because whether you like it or not, he is going to set the spiritual tone in your home. For better or for worse. So I don't care how cute he is. I don't care how nice he is. I don't care how old you've gotten and how badly you want to just be married. Compromise on this will only bring you pain and suffering and struggle. Don't do it. I've seen it too many times. And then to the young men, now you know what you're up against. Now you know what the good, godly, noble, charactered wives are looking for. That's what you need to be, right? Don't spend maybe so much time in the gym or in front of the mirror or whatever else you're doing. Spend a little more time on your knees in the word. Be that kind of man that 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 godly woman is looking for. Back to the point. Husbands, lead your wives. That leadership is to be transformed by a heart of of sacrificial serving love. And and one of the ways that 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 leadership is is transformed by love is, is what Paul says then at the end of verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Simple statement, huge implications, broad application. Once again, husbands, you're, you're not on the throne. If this was about you building your kingdom, hey, rule on, right? Treat your wife how you see fit. You're the man of the home, but, but that's not it. This is about representing Christ. You are in submission in your home under Christ, leading her in the name of the Lord in a way that that honors him. And so in what way could anything harsh or aggressive or angry or domineering or demanding, in what way could that represent Christ? That's not how he treats his church. Your wife is to be your precious, beloved treasure. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you to the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Treat your wife like you would a precious, delicate flower. Now, wives, I don't mean to demean you in any way in that, but rather as a corrective for sinful men. We need this. And again, we, we tend to fail in one of two directions, right? Right? to either be belligerent and angry and abusive or to be lazy and passive and negligent. Husbands, this woman has been entrusted to you, has been given to you to lead and to care for. She is not yours. She does not belong to you. She is a blood-bought, beloved daughter of the Almighty God, and she is absolutely precious, To him, you better treat her with the utmost care. Lead her well. Lead her toward Christ as his representative. Lead her in gentle love, laying down your life for her. Again, this is radical obedience in regular life. You want to give your life for Jesus? You want to die for Jesus? Start by laying down your life for your wife. And that sacrifice, as this cosmic display of the glory of Christ in your marriage, has has eternal value. So much more than just day to day stuff in the home that nobody sees. There is an eternal value to that. Wives, does that not sound like something you could get on board with? (laughs) Submitting to a husband who leads and loves like Christ? That's a little better. That would be an okay thing. And again, all of this is flowing out of that overarching command to do everything in word or in deed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Christ, because of his death on the cross on our behalf, because of his love for us, because of the glory of the gospel, husbands are to love and lead and lay down their lives for their wives. Whether or not they appreciate it, whether or not they respect you or honor you in return, love them sacrificially. And wives, because of Christ, because of the call as, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and submit to your husband, not because he deserves it. Not because he has earned it, not because he is in any way worthy of it, but because it is fitting in the Lord, because it is beautiful. Don't be begrudging in this. Don't don't let Satan, through the pressure of this world, steal the joy out of this. Make us embarrassed about this. This is good and right and beautiful. This is the Lord's design. We ought to embrace it with joy together. And I'll tell you what, husbands, do you want to see your wife flourish? Do you want to see her grow in in joy and peace and I think even beauty? You want to see her become the wife who, who respects you and supports you? Start loving her the way Christ loved the church. But she's not doing her, no, start loving her as Christ loved the church. Start laying down your life for her in practical, sacrificial ways. Practical like wash the dishes. Practical like take her shopping. Love her. In ways that she appreciates. Lay down your life. Take her on the vacation that she's always wanted to do. That you hate and do it joyfully. Wife, you want to see your husband flourish? Do you want to see him become the man that you can really respect? The man that you can stand behind? The man that you, can, uh, that you can honor? Start submitting to him. Giving him the honor and the support. Lifting him up by not taking the reins. By not jumping in. Be the kind of helper that makes him a better leader. And see if he doesn't stand a little taller. See if he doesn't grow into the man that you desire for him to be. Nothing, nothing has the power to make or break a man like the honor of his wife. And in that that, that reciprocating relationship of, of humble submission and Christ-like love, most importantly, Christ is honored. The gospel is put forth. The world looks in and says, why does your marriage look that way? And you say, because of Jesus. Let me tell you about it. The angels look on and say, Christ is glorified in this. As our marriages are defined by by radical obedience in regular life. Giving our lives to Jesus and, and in that Our marriages become this spiritual act of worship. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, let it be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you give your life for the Lord, here and now, in the simple and the mundane. Let's pray. Father.